coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. There's several things that we've learned that we follow. First one, I very, very early realized, and this was thanks to Vern. I, I was a terrible student. I thought that I knew all and I figured out everything. And Vern came with a different perspective and said, hey, every problem or opportunity you have in your life, someone already went through that process, figure yeah. out how to fix it, and most likely wrote a book. So whenever you have an issue, instead of asking, what do I need to do? You need to ask, who is the expert on the field? And look for the expert, figure out who's the expert, and then read their book, hire them as a coach, take their course, whatever, and follow discipline uh, yeah. or in, in a deliberate practice, what they teach. And usually you get much better results. I, yeah, I love that, love that. that that's huge. And, and that's what we do. We look for yeah. the experts in every category and, and that's the way we operate. We look for a category we need, a course. We look for the leader of the category for mid-market companies and do a course with them and bring it into the platform. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a really big one. And the second one is the entrepreneurs are more disciplined, usually win. At the beginning, you have to be very creative and see what stakes and blah, blah. But once you already figure that out, now you have to scale it. Now you have to execute it. Yeah. Now you have to sim simplify the process, make system procedures, hire people, and be very, very structured in the way you scale your business. The ones that are able to change a chip and say, hey, I already figured out. Now I need to make it bigger. Yeah. Those are the ones that scale. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Daniel Marcos, who is the CEO and co-founder of Growth Institute. So we get into Daniel's story, Daniel's path that he's taken to get where he is today, and it is quite the eclectic story. He found great, great, great success earlier in life and basically lost everything and then gained it all back again. And we get into all of the highs and lows and what caused different situations. So if you're in a situation where you think maybe you can't do something, maybe you've gone through and, and tried to create something and failed, listen to this story. Listen to, to Daniel's story. He really, really has had really an interesting, very influential path that he has taken to get to where he is today. And what they're doing today, I am absolutely in love with. Uh, Dave is a lifelong learner. I absolutely love learning. And what they are basically doing is going and finding experts in their specific fields and then creating training programs and offering that to different executives to be able to get past whatever hurdles they may be having in their own company or their own business. So really, really interesting story. I love the I love the passion that Daniel brings to this. I love you know the, how the story unfolded. Really, really interesting. Daniel is also creating a book or writing a book, so he should hopefully be done with that uh, pretty soon after this episode goes live. So 
take a look on the interwebs for that. But uh, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. So I grew up in Mexico, Mexico City. My father worked in government. So the week I, I was born, we were living in Monterey. My father was a college professor. And he got a job in government in Mexico City. So we moved to Mexico City. And my father worked a lot. So I, yeah. it was really during the week. It was my brother, myself, and my mom. And then my father on the weekends and some of the weekends. He was a really good father, but very with very little time. So usually the weekends were very family-oriented, not during the week. And, and that's the way I grew up. My parents are in their 75s, still married, all, all the good things of, about the family. So, so all, all in good shape. But uh, there were some rough moments growing up just because my father was never there. Very stable salary, very stable job and everything. It was just yeah. not there. No, that makes sense. So, so what we've seen a lot is, you know, a lot of people that, that sort of develop their entrepreneurial tendencies, you learn that from their parents. And your dad may not necessarily have been I'll tell you exactly the story. So when I was around eight or nine years old, I remember it was around eight or nine. We were in a ranch of an uncle in San Benito, Texas. I don't know if you know, in the valley near Laredo and McAllen, there's a small town called San Benito. And an uncle okay. had a ranch there and he invited everyone. So we're all the uncles and nephews and kids and everyone was there for Christmas. And I remember on Christmas day, Christmas morning on the 25th, we we're all opening the presents and playing and all in, in, in our pajamas. And my father comes out of the room dressed in a suit. And I was like, why are you dressed in a suit? He said, well, my boss just called me I need to go back to Mexico to work. And I was like, dad, it's Christmas. And he said, there's an emergency, I need to go. And he left. And I remember I cried and I was really, really sad. And I told my mom, like, why? That this is not fair. This is Christmas, blah, blah. And then I look around and my uncles were there. So I asked my, what my mom said, why are my uncles here? And he said, well, your uncles are entrepreneurs. They have their own business. So they could be here. Your dad has a boss and he has to go back. Ah, and ah. That, that was the first time I realized there was a difference. Yeah. But for me, just that work, that was it, right? And that's what I, I began asking the question, what's the difference? Why did they have that liberty? And by the yeah. way, my uncles were richer or they had more money than my father. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, was, it was interesting to see the differences. So that's where you, do you think that's where you got your inspiration and the, you know, the, the direction to be able to start yeah, your own, own things? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, for me, there were two things. Was the liberty. And I remember I traveled way more with my uncles than with my father. So my mother was always there, but my father was rarely there. Yeah. And the second was on the monetary income. When I went to my, with my cousins everywhere, my budget was a much smaller budget than my uncles, than my cousins. And I was like, why do your father give you more money? And they couldn't understand. I just couldn't see it. And, and my, my cousins, they began working and having their own business since they were kids. Indeed, I remember when I was probably 11 or 12, I built my first business with my cousins uh, and we built an aquarium. And we had these tanks where we grew fishes and then we sold them and all that. Cool. And it was with them because they... That's what they have with their parents, and that's how I yeah. know. Very cool. So, so your your first business, you were you were young, twelve. You said I was 13? probably twelve. So we yeah. had a one car garage in the house. I built a wall in the middle. <laughs> half of it was a warehouse, and the other half I had my aquarium. 
Yeah. And I got clients. I put a sign outside of my door and people came and buy fish. And wow. Where, where'd you get the fish? Like, how'd, you, how'd, you, uh, how'd you start the fish? Like, where'd you get the first fish so from? I, my parents gave me some money to, to I build a tank yeah. in the house and I bought three or four fish per style or per pipe. Yeah. And I put them in this tank and I used to feed them with this algae and they grew and reproduced and all the kids I was selling them. Yeah. That's incredible. That's I do my first business. Yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. So, so you were you already had your your first business before you know you were even out of high school and that did you did you did you continue? By the time I, I was in college, I had like four businesses. I had an aquarium. I sold t-shirts. I imported t-shirts from the U.S. with brands of Vans and all these skateboard yeah. people and yep. brought and sold them. And then I had a in high school I opened a auto detail. A franchise. I bought a franchise in the U.S. In Mexico, Mexico City, it's a really big city, 24 million people. Yeah, We have a lot of pollution. So the government did a rule that you could not get your car on the streets one day a week. Okay. So depending on your license plate, you could not circulate your car for one day a week. Okay. So that day, your car was parked in your house and you were very unhappy your car was not being used. So we bought a van, a, a, a pickup van, and we had water, electricity, everything. And we went to your house and did an out full auto detail of your car. Wow. Used to do wow. Two day. That was my first kind of real business. And, and it was, you had to buy a van and everything. So it was, yeah. it was some good money to invest in. Yeah. And then I was, I sold that business to an uncle, to our cousin. And then I was going to do another one. And I was not doing good in school. I was doing really, really poor in school. Yeah. So my father got worried that I was going to do another business and continue to do bad in school. So he called my older brother and said, hey, you know what? Your brother wants to start another business. Why don't you get him a job for him to be entertained and not building another business? And yeah. try to get him a job that will give him a desk. So you have to have a desk and be able to do his homework on his desk. Yeah. So my brother helped me get a job in a brokerage house. And I had to be at the market, but the brokerage house sitting in the desk all time. So during yeah. college, I worked in a brokerage house the last three years of college. Okay, okay. And that was my and first really view into big businesses and how stock market and investors and everything happened. And, and how long did that, did that you know, real job last? Three years. Three so years. Yeah, last three years of college. So yeah. I did four and a half years of college. I worked at this company, this brokerage firm for three years. I was first in the market. I was a trader in the desk, trading stock options and all the rest. And then the last year and a half, I was a, a wealth manager and, and had clients and invested their money and everything. So, yeah. so it, was, it was a really, really, really good training because I had to read all the financial reports and the K-1s and everything. And it was yeah. a huge view to be in college and be able to understand these kind of things. Yeah. And then yeah. the day I left college, I already had a job to work in Hong Kong for the Mexican embassy in Hong Kong. So I don't even remember 1997, Hong Kong went to go from England to China. Okay. And that year, everything happened in Hong Kong, the World Bank meeting and all the uh, UN and everything meetings. And there were, every consulate in the, in the region had a lot of work. So there was an extra position open and I got the job through a relationship through my father and my brother precisely. Yeah. And I went to work for them for a couple of years. Wow. Wow. So, it, so, I mean, you're, you're still really young and you've already established, you know, a number of different businesses. You've got a lot of, 
you know, high profile relationships and connections already that you're, you know, starting to build and foster. So I, I grew very fast. Yeah. I always, I always the youngest in the table by far. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great foundation. So, so, I had a meeting with Alan Greenspan when he was the chairman of the Fed. Well, it was not me. It was the president of the Mexican Central Bank. And I was a kid carrying his briefcase. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And you're still there. You're still there. I was sitting (laughs) at the table. I had a dinner with Alan Greenspan at the table. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So what, what, um, when did you leave all of this and make, you know, the, the next jaunt into your entrepreneurial journey? So I was in Hong Kong, 1997-1998, and that's the boom of the internet, the, the first wave of the internet boom. And I was seeing all the magazines of the Netscape guys making billions and all that. And I said, I need to do this. Mm-hmm. So I resigned to my job one day out of the blue, called my parents, said, just resign, I'm going back. And my parents were freaked out because I had a really good salary. I was living in Hong Kong, like all these things, and I resigned to be an entrepreneur again. And I said, hey, by the way, I don't have money. I'm going to spend the last money that I have uh, traveling here and then building a business. So can I go back home? And I went back home because I, I did have a car. I didn't have everything. Anything. Yeah. So I went back to Mexico and tried to open a representation or an office of E-Trade in Mexico. And I went to several brokerage shops in the U.S., tried to convince them to open the Mexican operations. Everyone said, hey, Mexico is our neighbor, but in stock market size, the Mexican market is like number 30 in the world. Mm-hmm. Even though we're on 10 in the world in size of the economy and GDP, we're like 40 on the stock market size. So they said, hey, Mexico is in the roadmap in five or 10 years from now, not today. So I said, okay, great. I'm going to do my own brokerage house. And I went to the SEC, the Mexican CNBB, yeah. and asked for a brokerage license. And they looked at me and said, like, you're never going to get a license. Usually we give license to people with a lot of experience and traders that have been in their 50s or 60s. You're in your 20s. You're never going to get a license. So I went back home and I told my father about this and we had a big conversation. And my dad said, so what can you do with your own money and your experience? So when they give the first licenses, you have what they need. And I said, well, they're going to need a team to run their operations. And they're going to need clients to learn how to trade stocks online. Mm-hmm. So I copy uh, Yahoo Finance and did a company called Finances Web in Mexico, and I replicated Yahoo Finance. So you could do your 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 portfolios, uh, like fake portfolios. You could buy and sell shares. Indeed, we were the first ones to put financial news and quotes in Latin America online. Wow. So you were basically you were basically building the client base, the investor client base, so that you know they had to come to you. Right. Went, wow, wow. Incredible. So we, we built the first fintech in Latin America, 1998, starting. Wow, incredible. And and uh, I, I, did you have a, like a programming background or how did you, you know, obviously back so, then no, kind of so the West? I had worked in a brokerage house and I was when I was in Hong Kong, I was trading stocks because I knew how to do it. Little money that I have, I was trading stock already. So I had an account in E-Trade and I was already trading stocks. And um, I remember I came back and I started telling a lot of friends that I want to do a company and the idea and all that. And I begin kind of getting some attention and some friends say, hey, if you do it, I'll jump with you and let's do it together. Yeah. And one day there was a lot of talk, but there was nothing happening. And I emailed like 20 people and said, hey guys, I'm going to do the company. Who wants to be in? I'll see you in a Starbucks book. It didn't yeah. exist back then, but it was a Mexican cafe called Sunworms. We'll see you there. 
and three people arrived wow. to, to the meeting. And by the way, we, we sat down like five hours discussing the business plan, and how much money we were going to invest and everything. And at the end, one of my friends said, hey, let's give each other job positions, right? We need to do an org chart and give everyone who, who's going to be charged to do what. Yeah. So my friend on my left said, hey, I worked in Mary Lynch the last two years, so I'll take care of the program, of the product, and I will be the CFO of the company. Great. So my friend in front of me said, hey, I went to college. I studied electrical engineering, so I'll be the CTO and I'll do the servers and everything. Perfect. And then my yeah. friend on the right said, hey, my father organizes concerts, so I help him with the concerts, so I know something about sales and marketing, so I'll do sales and marketing. Right. And they looked at me and said, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm like, wow, we need finance, we need technology, we need sales and marketing. And I was like, okay, I'll be the CEO. And they looked at me and said, like, why? And I was like, someone has to take decisions. Yeah. And they looked at each other and said, like, okay. And that was it. Yeah. Wow. That's, that, that's how it started. That's yeah. incredible. So what happened to that business? Did you, you, you obviously so, got your broker's license at one point or? We did not get the broker's license. So interestingly, there was, you know, Reuters in the US. Yes, right. There was a Reuters in Mexico called uh, InfoCell. And InfoCell had all the financial news and all the stock quotes and everything, but you had to pay two or $3,000 for a screen. So I, through my father, I got a, a relationship to the CEO of the company and went to beg him to sell me his stocks and the news. And the guy said, I'm never going to give you the house. I charge thousands of dollars per screen. If anything yeah. goes online, I'm going to go under. And I told him, hey, it's going to happen. Sooner or later, you want it or not, it's going to happen. So let's do it first. And the guy said, never going to happen. And he pushed me out. I went to his office two or three times, sent him letters, offers. He denied it. And one day, a competitor in Argentina, that he had a broker house in Argentina, he got a really big press release that he was going to raise all this money with venture capitals. And he was going to open Mexico and be the owner of Latin America of the market. So I called the guy and said, you have a choice. Or you support Mexican entrepreneurs and we lead the market, or the Argentinians are going to come, they're going to eat our lunch. Mm -hmm. You choose. And the guy said, call you in seven days, in a week. And he hung up. Exactly seven days after, my phone rang. The guy said, the deal is ready for you to sign in my office in Mexico City. There's no negotiation. There's no discussion or you sign what is on the contract, or we don't have a deal. Okay, went to his office, and I had to give him 10% of the company to sign the deal. Yeah. I had to pay him a licensing fee, but I have to give him 10% of the company. And I said, done. Signed, came out of the contract, out of the office with a contract. And interestingly, so I signed the contract with a guy, and like six months later, the Argentinian company comes to the market. And of course, first person they go and meet is this guy. And they come to him and say, hey, want your news and your stuff. I said, can't give it to you. I have an exclusive agreement with Finance as well. And I own a percentage of the company. So not going to give it to you. It's never going to happen. Yeah. So I got a call that afternoon from the owner of this engineering company. And he said, Daniel, I have very preliminary discussions with JP Morgan to do wow. a round of financing of $50 million. You want to be in the game or against me? And I was like, what options do I have? Yeah. And the guy said, fly to Argentina, let's meet. So I flew to Argentina uh, that night. And he told me, he said, I went to JP Morgan and I told them that I want to be the leader in Latin America. They liked the idea. 
they want to help us raise $50 million. But they told me, if you don't have Mexico and Brazil, you don't have Latin America. Mexico and Brazil are by far the biggest economies and they are the leaders in Latin America. So he said, get me Mexico and Brazil and I'll find, find you the money. So he said, you're the only one in Mexico operating. You're the leader in Mexico. And he's your leader in Brazil. And he blew, flew him also from Brazil. So he said, guys, if you want the 50 million, it's just the three of us. Let's make an agreement, jump, come with me. I'll give you stock of the company and let's go with JP Morgan. We said, yes, sign there. We flew to JP Morgan next week and said, we're, now we have Latin America. And we showed them, showed them the contract. And JP Morgan said, great. So we started the process and we end up raising $53 million. Wow. Uh, JP Morgan, Goldman, Microsoft, Intel, uh, Carlos Slim, the richest guy in Mexico and Latin America. He was the richest guy in the world that, that year. We got like 10 great investors, yeah. Yeah. Uh, including Santander. Santander is the 13th biggest bank in the world, is the biggest bank in Spain, and they end up investing. And six months later, Santander needed a platform to have worldwide presence, and they acquired us. So they, they fully buy 100% of the company uh, four months after the first round. Uh, wow. We sold Santander and I stayed in Santander working for two years. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So that, that's amazing how that all, that all came together and, you know, all because of the suggestion that, you know, your dad said, you know, what else do you need to, to be able to be in that position? So that's great how you leveraged everything and, and sort of reused it. Did you, and again, you've got, you're still young. You're what, 30 at this point now? No, so, I was 26. You're, you're 26? When I sold it, I was 26. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Um, By the way, my CEO, the guy that the Argentinian guy was 24. Wow, that's incredible. That is so incredible. We, we built it indeed, and we were very close to be whatever you call a unicorn today. Indeed, by, by today's standards, we would have been a unicorn. Yeah. Uh, then. Yeah, you, you guys yeah, you guys were the original year old kid, but we sold it for almost a billion at 24. Wow. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. So so obviously, again, you you've had this great success. You've got great connections, great foundations. What did you do next? What did you roll into after, after you sold that? So I sold that. And while I was in Patagon, in Oswego and all this, I hired a lot of MBAs. And I hired a lot of Stanford and Harvard MBAs. And they had all this jargon and these presentation skills that I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt that I had no idea how to do it. And I wanted to move to the US and be an entrepreneur in the US. I said, I proved myself in Mexico. I could do whatever I want in Mexico, and I want to prove myself in the U.S., the biggest, most competitive market in the world. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. 
I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. So I said, but for me to kind of get the sense and understand all this, I'm going to go and study an MBA in the U.S. So I moved to Boston, went to Babson, supposedly the best entrepreneurial MBA in the world. Pretty good school, learned a lot, learned all the jargon and PowerPoints and everything. And then moved to Austin, Texas to open a mortgage bank. And my psychology was, I don't know if you remember, 2000 was the first U.S. census. Yeah. That they realized the size of the Hispanic market. Yeah. Before that, the expanding market was disregarded. And that's when there was a huge focus in the US corporations to serve the Hispanic market. And then 2004, of course, the, inter- the, the, the mortgage bubble was starting. Yeah. So if you had a mortgage bank, they just threw money out to you. And the Hispanics, so I said, I'm going to do a Hispanic mortgage bank. Or, and that's what I created. In 2004, raised money grew two, three offices, 100 employees, all of that. But we were the subprime of the subprime. And I'll explain this because we got through Goldman again. Goldman Sachs gave a friend of mine in San Diego a line of credit of $500 million to give mortgages to undocumented Hispanics in 2006 or five. And my friend called me and said, hey, can you be my arm in Texas? And I was like, yeah. So I just focused everything on mortgages to undocumented Hispanics. Yeah. And I was probably doing 80 to 100 loans a month. We were starting wow. really fast, getting our employees, offices, everything. And then one day we got a call from Goldman and said, no more. I said, what do you mean no more? And they said, we tried to flip the first part of the, of the bond package. There's no appetite in the market. I, we're shutting yeah. you down. Yeah. And they shut us down in a day. Wow. Wow. So I yep. lost everything that I got from the first company. And I went to investors and said, the guys, they just shut us down. I explained the situation. And they said, okay, let's shut down. I said, yeah, but now we have a million dollars in lines of credit and office and everything. And everyone looked at each other and said, like, that's your problem. We, we put our yep. money. We lost our money. You pay the debt. Wow. So I, I had no assets, lost all 100% of my money, and had a million dollars in debt. Yeah. When I was 34, 35. Yep. And, and how did that, how did that impact you personally? Like, you know, obviously that's, that's a huge blow. You were on top of the world, you know, and then then it all comes crashing down. What was, what was your thoughts when you're going Uh, through that? It it was pretty bad. I was, I had kind of a depression for six months or so. I couldn't sleep well. I woke up at two o'clock in the morning, sweating cold. Imagine going to your wife after you had an amazing exit when you were in your twenties. Yeah. Said, by the way, I lost it all, and I have million dollars in debt. And by the way, my visa was tied with my with your work. company. So the company's under. We need to go back to Mexico. We have a month to be back. Wow. And we left the U.S. Went back to Mexico. Uh, I had a daughter, two years old. 
it was rough. It was it was pretty rough. I think yeah. the worst ever point in my life. And several things happened. And the way I tell the story is I really have a lot of phone calls and a lot of things, but three really changed everything. First one was my parents. They sent me a letter. We talked, of course, about it, but they they believe I didn't want to talk about it because it was so painful that I was not even open to a conversation. So they wrote me a letter and said, life gives you very few opportunities to learn fast. And today you have a great opportunity to learn fast, but you're not learning because you're not even willing to discuss it. So I called my father and said, great, what do you recommend? And my father said, let's hire a counselor or someone and let's have an event, let's have a, a conversation. So we hired this guy in Idaho that has a community in Idaho and he came, sorry, Montana. And he came to Austin and he requested a room with four walls, no, no windows, nothing in the walls, no nothing, just white walls and seats. And we put a seat for my father, my mom, my wife, him and myself for two or three days. And it was rough, very, very rough three days. And we had a lot of conversations with the analysis of everything that happened and blah, blah. And that kind of started, that took me to the bottom very, very fast. And, and, yeah. started with and then I got a call from a friend, a very good friend of mine was the head of Google in Mexico. And he called me and said, hey, they just made me head of Google in Latin America. And I need a CEO of Google Mexico. Why don't you become the CEO of Google Mexico? And I said, no, I cannot do it. I don't have the capacity. And I denied and I hung up the phone call. Yeah. And he called me the next day and he said, I'm, I'm not allowing you to do this. You're going to do the process and you're going to shut down. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. And he put me in the process. I was not selected at the end, but I did put through the process and helped significantly with, with my mind and everything. And by the way, interestingly, this, uh, this is a great story. It, the process took like six months. And at the end, they called me from New York. The, the, the head that run the process was in New York. And she called me and said, Daniel, we love your experience and technology and all that, but we are not sure you know and, and can live the core values of Google. So I want to give you the position of head of operations with someone on top of you that is a longtime Google employee for him to run the company and core values and direction, you the operations, mm -hmm. and in two years, we'll make you the CEO. And I said, no because I had already started my consulting business and I'll talk a little bit about that later. And I was doing really, really well. And I said, hey, the only way I'm gonna go and shut down my business that I have today is if you make me the CEO because of the salary and everything that is. Yeah, yeah. And she said, no, or you come with us for two years as head of operations or we, we don't give you the opposition. And I said, I'm done. And we didn't, we didn't move forward. Yeah, yeah, so you, so you rejected Google then at that point. Yes. So, so the consulting I, I knew I was not going to be there for many years. Yeah. And to have to be there two years head of operations to then be CEO for three or four years. Yeah. That means I was going to be six or seven years in Google. Yeah, exactly. And that was not my, yeah. I want to be entrepreneur again. So I so, knew. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what I just wanted to touch on is, you know, so you were at this, you were at this, this, this bad point in your life. You know, you have this seemingly amazing opportunity with Google that, you know, would certainly take you out of that, but you still chose to go, you know, the, the path of your own path and marching your own path. What do, what do you think, does it maybe go back to your uncles, you know, and, and you know, always having that back in the back of your mind that- so That's a third call. That's a third. Remember I said, I got three calls. So the first yeah. one was my letter of my parents. Second was my friend at Google. 
the third one was Vern Harnish, the, the author ah. of Setting Up, founder yeah. of EO. So I've been a member of EO for 21 years. And I, when I go to EO, I went to their program in MIT called Birding of Giants. And I graduated from Birding of Giants and we did really well. I hired Vern as my coach and Vern gave me some coaching and guidance and stuff. And I became very, very good friends of a friend of Vern, Steve Watkins. And I spoke with Steve when I was having a really hard time. And Steve called Vern and said, hey, Dan was having a really hard time. You should give him a call. Yeah. So Vern called me and said, how are you? And I cried on the phone and I complained and I was in a really bad space. Yeah. And after like half hour rumbling and complaining, he said, are you done? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He said, what's next? And I was like, I need to go back to Mexico, get a job to pay the school for my daughter. Like, I, I don't have no options. Yeah. And the guy said, like, no, you have to become a coach. He said, what happened to you, you have to make sure it doesn't happen again. So become a coach of other CEOs and teach them scaling up. And I said, no way. Like, I cannot trust myself to be an entrepreneur. How can I coach someone else? And he said, that's precisely why. Because you went through such a hard process, you have to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I told him, hey, I thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered that you're asking me to do this. I just don't even have the money to pay you to get certified. And I need a full-time job. I need a salary to pay for my daughter's school. And the guy said, fine, go to Mexico, get a job. But he told me, and this was interesting, he said, how are you going to pay the million dollars that you owe? And I was like, yeah. I have no idea. And he said, why don't you coach on the weekends? And with everything you make on the weekends, you pay your debt. And I said, that sounds like a plan. So I worked Monday to Friday to pay my day-to-day -day stuff. And then yeah. on the weekend, I was coaching. And I paid my loan with coaching in four years with all wow. the interest and everything. So I, I was already working while I was in the process with Google and I started the coaching and the coaching was beginning to grow really, really fast. Yeah. Um, in, in Latin America compared to the US, in the US, a lot of entrepreneurs, they become investors, they become coaches, like the flow of giving back and staying in the cycle is very common. In Mexico, yeah. if you do great and you make a lot of money, you retire, yeah. invest in real estate and that's it, right? There, there was no discontinuation of staying in, this, in the system. And very, I, I was known by a lot of people. I've been in magazines, in cover of magazines. I give conversations and, and lectures everywhere in all the business schools in Mexico. So I began getting a lot of clients really fast. So when Google called me, I was already making what they were going to pay me as head of operations in my own coaching on the weekends. So it was difficult to go back to a full-time job and had to close it. And that's why I stayed as a coach. I, I had already begun having success. I was in going in a really good track. And I didn't want to go to Google for seven years or six yeah. years. Yeah. yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So, so the, the coaching, that, that's what you're doing today, right? You're, 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 you know, so you're, I, I do that, but I'm also the CEO of Growth Institute. So four years into it, I pay all my debt and I tell my wife, I'm ready to be an entrepreneur again. <laughs> my wife, for example. <laughs> but, but at that, at the moment I was very successful coaching and I was the only coach that spoke Spanish for the scaling up system. Yeah. Yeah. And I was flying to every, a different country in Latin America every week. And we were doing fairly well. I was making a lot of money, but I was sleeping outside of my house, probably 200, 250 nights a year. Yeah. And my, I just had my second son and my wife said, 
well, you do whatever you have to do, but you have to be home because it, I don't want to be a mother without a father, very similar to when you grew up. Yeah, yeah. So I called Vernon and said, hey, I'm ready to be an entrepreneur again. I'm going to resign and I'm going to do something else. And he got mad at the beginning. I was, I was a top three coach worldwide in Mexico. I was, doing, I was doing more in revenue in Mexico than the coach in New York. Wow. Um, so, but, but I was traveling all over Latin America. I had all Latin America for, for me. Yeah. So he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I, want, I love what I do, but I want to figure out how to do it online and be able to, to leverage this. And he said, I love it. Do it for Gazelles worldwide. And I said, no, I'm sorry. I don't want to be your, your employee. I want to be an entrepreneur again. And he said, fine, you and I will be partners. I'll put the money. Let's start. And that's how we started. Wow. So we have a company called Growth Institute that we teach everything we do on, uh, physically, online, in scaling up. But then we start saying, okay, you need to implement scaling up. But for you to do that, you need better employees. So yeah. Bern called Brad Smart, the author of Top Grading. And we acquired the rights of top grading online and started teaching top grading. And then we went to look for Victoria Medvek in negotiations. And then we looked for Salim Ismail on exponential organizations. And like that, today we have over 100 top leaders and we do all their course online to help companies scale faster and reduce the drama. That's um, incredible. That's incredible. So I started doing that nine years ago. Wow. I, I love that you know, basically going out and acquiring the other, you know, the other thought leaders in each one of those industries and bringing them together. Um, it reminds me of, um, of Vishen Lakhani. Have you ever heard of him from Mind no, Valley? He's a very good friend. Yeah. Yeah. I, yes. I, I, thought I have a course at Mind Valley. Oh, do you really? Yes. Oh, love, love it. A very love good it. Friend. We, we've, uh, Vern and I have spoken their universities. We both have courses in Mind Valley address. He has done a brilliant job. Oh, it's yeah, incredible, incredible. Amazing entrepreneur. Yeah, so, so what are some of the things that you, I, I mean, again, this is a, a, an amazing, amazing story. You know, had it all, lost it all, gained it all back. What are some of the, the top things that you can say that, you know, that, and, and I love that you're in the coaching industry too. So you can pull in your own experiences and, you know, all of these, these different networks or these, these different influences that you've sort of pulled a network together. What are some of the top things that you feel entrepreneurs miss consistently or fail at consistently, consistently that is you know, really impacting their, their lives or their so success? There's several things that we've learned that we follow. First one, I very, very early realized, and this was thanks to Vern. I, I was a terrible student. I thought that I knew all and I figured out everything. And Vern came with a different perspective and said, hey, every problem or opportunity you have in your life, someone already went through that process, figure yeah. out how to fix it, and most likely wrote a book. So whenever you have an issue, instead of asking, what do I need to do? You need to ask, who is the expert on the field? And look for the expert, figure out who's the expert, and then read their book, hire them as a coach, take their course, whatever, and follow discipline uh, yeah. or in, in a deliberate practice what they teach and usually you get much better results I, yeah I love uh, that love that. that that's huge and, and that's what we do we look for yeah. the experts in every category and, and that's the way we operate we look for a category we need a course we look for the leader of the category for mid-market companies and do a course with them and bring it into the platform yeah um, so, so that's a really big one and the second one is the entrepreneurs that are more disciplined usually win. 
at the beginning, you have to be very creative and see what stakes and blah, blah. But once you already figure that out, now you have to scale it. Now you have to execute it. Yeah. Now you have to sim simplify the process, make system procedures, hire people, and be very, very structured in the way you scale your business. The ones that are able to change a chip and say, hey, I already figured out, now I need to make it bigger. Yeah. Those are the ones that scale. If they want, want to stay in the creativity, it's a mess. So the other day I was dealing with an entrepreneur, very, very successful entrepreneur, 300 employees doing great and done. But the team was crying behind. They were having yeah. a really, really hard drama. So I was, I was invited and kind of obligated to work with him, with his venture capitals. They called me and said, hey, we invested in this entrepreneur. We love the guy, but he's a mess. And he's turning all the team in their heads and everyone wants to resign. So we will pay you. You've coached this guy. So I started coaching him and we started having some conversations. But at the beginning, you kind of don't understand that you're not that aggressive at the beginning. And I was very young. He was younger older than me. And we went to have dinner to a very, very nice Japanese restaurant, him and his partner. And the guy did his typical stuff. And the partner and he begin shouting in front of me in the table. The partner told him the F word, left the restaurant. Yeah. And that was it. They split that day because this guy was very disrespectful to the partner. And the partner said, I had it, I'm out. And I remember I went with his guy. He dropped me in my car. And before I left his car, he said, hey, but we're going to resolve this. And I told him, he said, this company is going to be very successful because of you. Mm -hmm. But it's in spite of you, it's horrible to work for you. Like you, I told him, you're an asshole. Like you, yeah. you're, you're a pain in the ass. I hate to work with you. And he was like, ah, come on, it's not that bad. And I was like, you don't get it. I hate to work with you. Yeah. And they, I've been paid by your investors, and I get paid really, really well. Imagine your employees with the really bad salaries that you pay them. Yeah. And he kind of laughed and made a joke. And the next day he called me and said, I get it, let's do it right. And then he changed. And then he was able to do a great company. Hmm. But, but he had to get to the point that his best friend and partner yeah, basically. were in the restaurant. Yeah. And left. Wow, wow. And, and I, I mean, kudos to him too for recognizing that and actually you know, sticking to that. Because I, I, I think that's another one of the, the things that entrepreneurs, you're very, you know, we're, very, we're all very, very headstrong. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm right, you know, this is going to be the way. But I mean, it sounds like he changed, you know, he realized and changed very, very quickly before, you know, before it was too late. So that's correct. Yeah, no, this is this, you have a hell of a story. So, you know, but in the green room, you had asked, why, why do I do the podcast? We've got some great things going on ourselves. This is the reason why we do the podcast to be able to tell, you know, your type of story. And, and it's just incredible. I love, I love hearing how, again, the, 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 the roller coaster that you've had and, you know, the, the number of lives that you're impacting now and the number of, of companies. And do you, is that something that you track? I'm, I'm curious, you know, again, you, you, you have this network with a hundred different, you know, thought leaders and, you know, all of you are all, you know, sort of selling all of this to these different companies and all of those companies have, you know, people working for them. So do you have any idea at all? Do you track like how many, how many lives you may have impacted? 
Our BHAG, our long-term goal and dream, is help 10 million leaders of mid-market companies be able to do two things, scale their impact and reduce the drama of their life and operation. Mm -hmm. So our, our dream, our purpose is to give freedom to leaders of companies. And what gives you freedom is doing what you do in a bigger scale. Hey, I, I want to employ people in my community. If I employ more people, I'm going to be happier, right? Yeah. Or I want to make more money. The more money you make or the more people you serve or the more people you give housing or whatever you do, you want to do it in a bigger scale. And you want to reduce the drama. People say, hey, I'm doing this of impact and I just don't have a life. How can I get to do this of impact? Yeah. We help them do that. So today, up to last year, we've trained, and this is paid executives, not uh, people in the database. We have a database of probably 250,000 yeah. uh, people. Social media, we have way more than that. But we have paid 50,000 executives that come, come from our programs from 10,000 different companies wow. in 68 countries around the world. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. That's, so today, I, I, we're probably serving around 2,000 companies a year. Yeah. That is incredible. And that's, you know, millions and millions of people, you know, sort of trickling down throughout there. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Wow. Any, any final words that you, that you want to leave us with? Actually, I, I guess even, even, um, you know, who would be the right type of person for your product, the right type of the right type of company, the right type of executive or leader, any, any descriptions there? So if you want to grow your impact, we'll, we have a lot of tools, methodologies, coaching, and all that to that. But we get more people help say, hey, everyone tells me how to grow. No one tells you how to grow and reduce the drama, how to have a better quality of life. If you want to have that, come to Growth History. We get a lot of people calling and say, hey, I have a business. I do great. I grow 40% of the year. I haven't gone on vacation in seven years. Yeah. Come and take a vacation. And we help them do that. Uh, so we believe scaling a company is hard. But scaling a company and enjoy your life, it's way harder, like 10 times harder. Yeah. That's what we do. And, and we partner with people like Byrne and Salim and, and Brad Smart. And uh, indeed, you know Jack Stack from Great Game of Business? Oh, no, I haven't, I haven't seen him. Oh, he's just a, the nice guy. Brilliant. Uh, great guy to interview, by the way. He's, he's just one of the nicest, most successful entrepreneurs I've met. Just to give you an idea, the guy was a manager of a plant of a Fortune 500 company. One day he gets a call from his manager and said, hey, just to let you know, we'll be in your factory in two weeks. We're gonna shut down the factory, we're gonna fire everyone. And the guy said, oh. like, what do you mean? Yeah, it's called Great Game of Business, the book. Open book. Uh, oh, the, I think I, I think I, yeah, I'm thinking of, it's the game. I, I saw it as the game, oh, I the think. Game. That's correct. Yeah, so we yeah, 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 that, that is, that is, that is. started that class for the first time. Oh, wow. I, I love that. Yeah, that's a great story. story. Yeah. So just to finish the story to the rest of the people, they were doing, I think, like 10 or 15 million a year uh, in the factory. He was a manager in his 20s. He yeah. ended up buying his factory with the money of his employees. Today, they're doing over a billion dollars in revenue. Incredible. Incredible. Amazing story. Yeah. And that, that was all about, you know, focusing on three, throughput, right? That's yeah. Right. Yeah. It's called it's called the game or or, or uh, great game of business, and yeah. he he's the biggest promoter of open book management and all these kind of things. We just signed a class with him that today we started for the first time, the class with him. So yeah. if you want to be able to do those kind of things, we help you bring a consulting agreement, like 
like if when I hire when I'm hired to help someone implement scaling up, it's a pretty expensive contract. It takes a year. We have to fly to your office. You know the typical things for consulting. We could do a three month online engagement, very similar with all the guidance and videos and everything, for probably three percent or four percent of the price. Yeah. So that's incredible. Yeah, incredible. But Daniel, this is this is. Uh, I, I know that you have to go, so we'll wrap this up. But uh, this is one of those top type of topics we could go down all kinds of different avenues and and you know go down all kinds of different experiences that you've had. So you know, perhaps sometime in the future, we can have you back on and we can dive deep into some other things. But, uh, and thank yeah, you, I, this, is, this is what, for me to get to my 10 million leaders, I need a lot of people to help. Yeah. So yep. thank you for your time. Thank you for your invitation to be able to have the space. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you, um, Daniel. Again, I, I, I love your story. I love the message. And uh, this, is, this has been fantastic. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.